be reading from Mark chapter 14, first nine verses. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is so good to see you this morning. Hasn't the music been wonderful? And you, you look so festive with your palms raised high and waving during the first song. Thank you for participating in that way because today is a day for hosannas. It's a day for palm branch waving and full choruses of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it is as it should be. This is the beginning of Holy Week. It's the Sunday in the year we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that small donkey, being praised as the one who will usher in a new kingdom. Followers of Jesus, they line the streets of Jerusalem, and they have great hope that this kingdom will be one where oppression of the powerless will cease and where the reign of David will be restored. It's an exciting time. And as Jesus to Jerusalem, there are Roman soldiers there too, making sure that things are going to stay peaceful and orderly, but they're anxious. They can't quite make out what's happening with this parade they, they knew nothing about. The soldiers are concerned, they're nervous that things could get out of control. They weren't prepared for it, but they're there and this is their job. Not only does the crowd wave palm branches, but they begin laying down their garments in front of the donkey. So the donkey would walk on those instead of the, the streets. It sounds like a parade for royalty, but we all know better, don't we? We know that this was a continuation of a movement that Jesus had been growing and nurturing for three years. It was a movement where people would live with generosity and humility. It was a movement to usher in a society where the last shall be first and the first shall be last, where people would watch over one another in, in love. This is how Holy Week begins. Now, to be sure, a week can be a very long time. 
Maybe that is why today's lectionary is the longest gospel reading of all the Sundays in the year. Our lay reader read just nine of the 118 lectionary verses for today. And I know you're grateful. <laughs> These nine verses, though, they'll prepare us for what takes place after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, after Jesus has driven the money changers from the temple courts, after Jesus has given his disciples and his followers the great commandment of loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, at the time of this gospel story this morning, it's been a couple of days since the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The scene is set in Bethany, and it's the home of Simon the leper, it is in Simon's home where Jesus and the disciples, they sit around table with food and conversation. Now, we don't know much about Simon. We don't know who he was, what he did. We don't know why Jesus chose Simon to have dinner at his home. Jesus had friends in the area that he visited often. You remember um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But in fact, if Simon was a leper, it makes some sense to us, doesn't it? Throughout his life, Jesus was the friend of those considered outcasts, outcasts like lepers, the blind, the mute, prostitutes, the demon-possessed, tax collectors. These were folks shunned by the religious leaders and marginalized by the Roman government. Jesus was the hero of the marginalized because he befriended those folk when society had discarded them. It was the marginalized of society who had, who had renewed hope that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. They had hoped that Jesus was going to overthrow the unjust political structures and uh, establish a new kingdom where the upper class in society no longer uh, exploited the lower class, but instead shared their benefits with them. Now, I'm certain that in that house of Simon, there was a spirit of hope and lively conversation all about Jesus, what he had been doing since he entered Jerusalem that day. They're still reveling in the powerful display Jesus had with the people lining the streets of Jerusalem. And even at great cost to them, they praised Jesus. And they could have been seen as being disloyal to Caesar. Those in Simon's home that day, they were excited. They were filled with hope until that woman showed up. Everything was fine until... That woman entered the room where Jesus was sitting at table. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's obvious she's not a very important guest. The Scripture does not even give her a name. We know the name of the others there, Simon, Jesus. We can name the disciples. But not this woman. She was nameless. And this nameless woman entered the scene, and suddenly everything Jesus had been trying to teach the disciples about God's movement of love and grace in the world was made very clear with her one act of hospitality. You see, Jesus had been sharing with his disciples that ushering in the kingdom of God would come at a great cost. It would cost Jesus his life. And Jesus had carefully and consistently been teaching his disciples about his death and his resurrection, which lie ahead of him on his journey to Jerusalem. You probably remember the disciples' response to his teaching. In Caesarea of Philippi, you remember he told the disciples about his death and uh, the apostle Peter took him to the side saying, you know, this is a confusing message. Messiahs do not die. Messiahs reign. 
And this talk of, of resurrection is just too hard to understand. And one day Jesus was teaching about his death and resurrections, and the disciple was so disciples were so clueless that James and his brother um, John approached Jesus and said, "Teacher, when will you establish your new kingdom? And when you do, let us sit at your right hand and your left hand." The disciples misunderstood, or maybe maybe they just ignored this part of the message. Maybe it was too painful to them to consider that they had given up their lives for one who would eventually be crucified. Whatever the reason, they never quite got this solemn and this sobering message. Jesus knew that soon one of his friends would betray him, the religious authorities would condemn him, and the civil authorities would crucify him. And none of the disciples could, could hear this in his voice or see it in his face, but for some reason, this unnamed woman did. It was the woman without a name who heard Jesus' voice and saw on his face the surety of his death. She entered the place where Jesus was eating, which was at best distasteful and at worst disrespectful. The dining room was reserved just for men. Dinner time in Bethany was a segregated time. Women didn't enter, women didn't enter this place that was designated for the boys. This was the societal norm. And aren't you glad societal norms can be challenged across the years? Challenged when they exclude folks instead of including them. But again, this was the societal norm. The second century um, Jewish rabbi, Judah ben Eli, wrote, Jewish men should thank God every day for three things. First, not being born a Gentile. Second, not being born a woman. Third, not being born illiterate so they could study the Torah, the scriptures. Now, someone said in the first service they were going to talk to their Jewish friend about this. <laughs> this was second century, okay? So if you have your Jewish friends, it's not happening today like that. This unnamed woman entering the boys' club, it was a radical and courageous act of hospitality. While men were at dinner, this woman entered the room, broke open an alabaster jar full of nard and she poured the nard over the head of our Lord can you see it can you smell it for a moment for a brief moment there was a powerful and commanding silence in that room the smell of sweaty men and stale breath was baptized with the sweet but strong aroma of nard now what happens next is both interesting and expected. No one rushes to Jesus, the honored guest, the person who is next in line to be king. No one rushes to clean him up or to wipe the nard running over his head into his eyes, into his beard. What happens next is typical of the disciples' response to such an event. They had responded this way over the past three years. You see, the disciples were a frugal group, and they had to be. But how they responded to this woman's extravagant love was just their op opus operandi. They ignored the obvious and began trying to make sense of the event. Woman, they said, don't you know how much that perfume costs? What a foolish thing you have done. And before we start judging the disciples, we do this sometimes, don't we? We sometimes speak out of scarcity to justify our stinginess. However, Jesus, he nixed 
he nixed the conversation. He said, leave her alone. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for its burial. You see, in Jewish custom, the dead body was anointed with fragrant spices before the burial. And we know that Jesus' body would not have this opportunity. So this woman's actions prepared him for his death. This nameless woman somehow knew that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem not to be fitted for a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. Not to um, be seated on a throne, but nailed to a cross. Not to be hailed as a new king, but to be killed as a common thief. And when Jesus' closest friends understood what would happen to him, that he would be betrayed, arrested, crucified, it was hard for them to, to embrace this, but somehow this woman understood, and she offered what she could to love Jesus before he was crucified. She couldn't stop Jesus from what he was about to do. She couldn't save him, but she could show him that she listened and she heard him. She can honor him and she can grieve him, and she did. Jesus then says about this woman, Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in remembrance of her. And it's true, isn't it? Some 2,000 years after this woman loved our Lord the way she did, gave him the hospitality that she did, we're remembering her again today. And throughout the church year, we remember this woman, how she gave all she could to her Lord. We remember at great peril to her, great prejudice for going against the norm of society, entering a room full of unappreciative men, she did so offering Jesus a costly uh, gift. And so entering into this Holy Week, I think we would do well to pause and to, to ask what this unnamed woman might teach us about Christian discipleship. One thing is for sure, she claims the humanity of Jesus. She will not let us get to Easter Sunday without first realizing the experience of Holy Thursday or Good Friday. She reminds us that we must go through the Garden of Gethsemane if we are to experience the empty tomb. Through her extravagant and even wasteful action of pouring an expensive bottle of nard over the head of Jesus, we are reminded that we are called to be a generous people. We are to offer wasteful and excessive hospitality to one another. The action of this unnamed woman reminds us of the absolute and unreserved love of Jesus for all people everywhere. And this means each one of us here this morning. Our Lord gives us an opportunity just as he gave the unnamed woman an opportunity to demonstrate our love to those who feel unloved, those who feel as though they're empty so they can be filled with the grace of our Lord. Jesus told his disciples, this woman has done what she could. So maybe as we come to the beginning of Holy Week, a question we can ask ourselves is, can Jesus say the same of us? Can Jesus say that we have done what we could of loving others, both family and friends, both companions and those we disagree with or may not even like? Can Jesus say that we have done what we could by offering extravagant love to those like this woman who do not fit the norm of society when our heart and mind is in concert with the heart and mind of Jesus wherever the good news of the gospel is proclaimed our Lord says it will be remembered it will be remembered by our family and friends by our strangers and even our enemies 
I recently watched again one of my favorite movies, Kingdom of Heaven. In one of the scenes, uh, Balian de Ibeline, uh, with great regret, he takes up arms against someone who's threatening his life. However, before the conflict and afterwards, he shows great humility, even praying for the one who was threatening his life. And a man traveling with the one who was defeated saw the humility in Balian and said, your quality will be known among your enemies wherever you meet them. In other words, Balian did what he could to avert an injury, to offer hospitality. And can this be said of us? Can we say that we will follow the, the truths of the United Methodist Church? That we will do no harm to others, that we will do good when we can, that by our devotion and our worship, that we'll grow in love with God and with others. The unnamed woman and her faithfulness calls us to consider our relationship with Jesus, to recommit ourselves to faithfulness to God and put feet to our faith in sharing God's love in whatever we do. Holy Week is an invitation to remember, to remember the depth of Jesus' love for us, and it's an invitation for us, from our Lord, to be humble in spirit and to be courageous in our actions, sharing with others what Jesus has already shared with us, a love beyond any imagination that we might have. Let us pray. Oh God, you're the giver of the most expensive gift, Christ our Lord. Help us make ourselves more vulnerable to the needs of others. Let us live unselfishly and more thoughtfully that we may spread love's fragrance wherever the the odor of cynicism and despair hang in the air. Fill our homes, O oh God. Fill our lives with the fragrance of your grace so that we might fall more in love with you. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who knows each of our names and who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.